My wife, Fantina, when we were dating and into the early years of our marriage, we absolutely despised the two weeks called State Fair in Syracuse. Anybody else with me? Nobody? Bueller? All right. So, listen, I I just hated, I just hated State Fair week. It was like uh, all this traffic and there's all like thousands of people you'd have to like make me go with you to the state fair and you it is is like all so bad that you spend like 18 dollars on like an onion that they put in some oil for you it's like i could get that for 35 cents at the supermarket but i i can't believe how much money i'd spend and i'm just thinking why would i do this it's hot all those people for hours, you're walking, your feet hurt. Well, anyways, when, when uh, about two or three years ago, my son Jack and my son Caleb got to the age in which it was actually fun to bring them to the state fair. So we brought them hesitatingly to the state fair, and they had so much fun. And Angie and I were like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to plan on this. And they started to rub off on us to this point where this year we started counting down the days to the state fair. We literally put it on our calendar which days of the week we would go to the state fair. We started planning ahead what we would do at the state fair. My kids were to ask, is this the week for the state fair? When's the state fair coming? This week, we have gone two whole times and we're going to go tomorrow to the state fair. This is crazy. When we went to the state fair, we did the circus. It was so much fun. We uh, 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 we did the rooster crowing competition. Anybody do that one? My son Jack was in a hay bale throwing contest. You could do that. Like, okay, this is the, the state fair is crazy, right? And and we just had so much fun going to this is a picture of our family with rocket the robot you know he's he's so cool and elsie's freaked out by him in the picture she's like daddy don't look don't look kids are incredible aren't they they're so amazing and yet they're one of the biggest mysteries in the world you can take the picture down uh nobody's gonna pay attention to anything i say um uh, they're, they're, they're one of the biggest mysteries in the world. We, we were all kids, right? Everybody in the room. And yet we can't figure them out. Think about that. Yeah, they're easy. Okay. Um, we have so many books. So many books have been written about how to raise kids. Wow. And, and to do all sorts of things with them, like teach them this or teach them that or how, how you want them to grow up. And there's these formulas. And when you're, a, when you're a baby of a, when you're a parent of a little baby, there's books on how to teach them how to sleep the way, the way that you want them to sleep. And, and there's, the, there's ways to teach them to eat the way that you wanted them to eat. And there's all these different formulas, except that they never work out the way that you, you want them to, right? Kids are a mystery. If you're a parent of young kids, I bet you have some questions about how to raise those kids. If you're a parent of teenagers, you have even more questions about how to raise those kids, right? Do I give them a cell phone? Do I take them cell phone away? Do I monitor their cell phone usage? Well, you know, everything, right? If you're a parent of adult children, it's crazy, right? How, what, how do I relate with these adult children? 
if you're a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, or a foster parent, a guardian of a child, how do I maximize my role in the life of this child? If you're just a neighbor of children, or you see children walking to school, or you, you're a part of this church and you see them running around in the lobby like crazy people, you have questions about how to maximize your role in the life of a child. When we care for children, we become responsible for them. We become responsible for their provision, their, their protection, their development, and all sorts of areas of their life. But one way that we become responsible for them is we find out in the Bible that we are more than just physical beings. We are more than just mental, emotional beings. We are spiritual beings. And we find that through the Bible, we understand, that, and, and, and the scientists are becoming aware of this now. They, they used to think it was just physicality, just mental, that you're nothing but some chemicals inside of you. But now everybody's becoming aware you should actually practice some sort of faith. If they're actually encouraging you to have some sort of spirituality. Because we're realizing... What the Bible told us a long time ago is that we are spiritual beings and we need to be developed spiritually. Many of us in the room know Jesus and the person of Jesus has been very transformational in the lives of many of us. We met Jesus when we were in one place and he's brought us to a better place. He's brought us to a more healthy place in so many ways. Jesus has been transformational for me. He's been transformational for many of you. And one of the questions that I wonder a lot of times when I look at my three children, and I bet you look at your children and you wonder yourselves, no matter where they're at, I wonder if you ask the question, how do I teach these kids to know about Jesus? I wonder how I would lead these children to be able to know Jesus when they grow up. What if I could act in such a way, what if I could parent in such a way that they would not be repulsed by the person of Jesus, but they would be attracted by the person of Jesus? How do we lead our kids to know Jesus? You see, it's the parent's primary responsibility to teach a child about Jesus. But it's also our whole responsibility to lead that child to Jesus. When we're dedicating a child here at the vineyard, we ask the parent, do you commit in front of all these people to do your best to teach that child to grow to know the person of Jesus? And they say yes. And then we turn to the congregation and we say, do you congregation support or uh, commit to support this parent in, in teaching their child about Jesus and com committing to helping that child know Jesus? And everybody says yes. But parent, it's your primary responsibility. Do you know that if you bring your child to church and you expect the church to raise your kid to know about Jesus, we may, if you attend church a lot, we may have about 40 hours of teaching time with your child per year. 40 hours per year. Parent, do you know that in that same year, you will have 3,000 hours with your child? It's your primary responsibility to teach your child about Jesus. A congregation, we have a big role to play in each child's life. 
How might we lead our children to Jesus? How might we lead them? Well, I have uh, four steps for us, four ideas for us. They're not, this isn't comprehensive. These are some ideas from my own life. Some of you are thinking, why is this kid teaching us how to, to bring kids to Jesus? Well, the reason is because I'm a kid and I know Jesus, right? And some of you are, are a little older than kids, right? You've, you've forgotten maybe, or maybe you came to Jesus Jesus as an adult, and you're wondering how. Uh, I have some ideas. Um, I, I, we're also going to read scripture and look at what scripture has to say. And we are. I'm also drawing from some uh, some resources from this this preacher that I really respect, named, named Rich Nathan. Um, and so uh, we're going to jump in. Number one: How do we lead our children to Jesus? Embody discipleship. Embody discipleship. The first thing to realize as a parent or even as just an adult in the room is that you are a leader. Children look at adults and they think, maybe I might become like that person or I might act like them. When children are in the supermarket, they look around at the adults in the room and they think, what am I going to be like? When they're at church, they're thinking, what am I going to be like? When they're at school, they're thinking, what am I going to be like? When they're at home, they're thinking, what am I going to be like? They might not have the overt thought, but they are thinking this. You are leading them. We are leading them, adults, in the room. And leadership matters. Leadership has consequences. Look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew 8, chapter 18, verse 6. Look, this must, this should scare the living crap out of us. Look at what Jesus says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus said, that. Did anybody pee their pants a little bit right there? You probably should have. This is crazy. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if you didn't even live. This is some pretty crazy stuff. Jesus takes this stuff very seriously. The way that we lead our kids is a very serious matter. So how do we lead well? How do we lead our kids to know Jesus? Well, we lead well by following well. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be, do what I do as I see what Jesus does and do what he did. You understand? We lead well by following well. Just as the airlines suggest, right? You get on the plane and they say, hey, this is what you're going to do. If we're in an accident, there's going to be these things that drop down from the ceiling. You're going to put that on yourself and then you can take care of your child. You put that on yourself before you take care of anyone else. You have to take care of your own relationship with Jesus before you can help someone else know Jesus. You and I, we need to lead this. 
It's not going to just happen. Would you guys open up your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3? 1 Samuel chapter 3. Did we get off to a rocky start? Um, uh, it's kind of quiet in here. Everybody okay? Did I scare everybody away from coming to this church anymore? It, it, that Matthew chapter 18 verse 6 is, you know, uh, yeah, that's crazy, right? But, but let's, let's keep going. I think that there's grace here. 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you have a Bible, open that up. If you have a, a phone and you have that on your phone, turn that on. If you'd like a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, Jenny and Steve have some Bibles. Dave has some Bibles. Uh, raise your hand. There's one in the back. Raise your hand. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we'd love for you to read along. It's a long passage. You'll be better if you read it with me, 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're reading from one of our Bibles, it's on page 215, and you can take that Bible home if you'd like. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to read the first three verses. Here we go. Everybody with me? Page 215, 1 Samuel chapter 3, 215. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So we have two people here. We have Eli, he's the priest, and we have the boy Samuel who was ministering before the Lord under Eli the priest. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak, so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. So let's stop right there at the end of verse 3. What do we, what do we see? This is the setting in which we are going to see this story. We see a couple of adjectives, a couple of things that pop up. First off, Eli is the priest in town. He is the person that is supposed to connect God with people and connect people with God. That is the job of a priest to be the bridge, the intercessor between the two people, between God and people. How, how is Eli doing, you guys think? Well, there were the word of God was rare, and there were no visions at that time. I think that Eli is not doing a great job. The, the way that, that his job is actually judged is how well are the people connecting with God and God with the people. There's no connection right now. The word of God was rare. That we, nobody's listening or hearing from God at the time. We see some other adjectives of, of Eli. We see that he can't see very well. We also read in another chapter that he was uh, uh, overweight, uh, obese. He was, he's lazy. He's laying down in the tabernacle. And we read that the, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Well, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it, or in Exodus and Leviticus, it says that that lamp of God was never supposed to go out. So even the mention that it might go out means that Eli's not doing his job very well. That lamp of God is never supposed to run out. It's almost like the adult leadership in Israel is failing the people. The adult priest is failing the people. Doesn't it sometimes feel like in our country that adult leadership is failing? Just me? Okay. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem like that? Like the, the adults in the room are acting like kids? 
And everybody's like complaining, not everybody, but some people are complaining about how these kids are, the kids are these days with their pants down below their belly buttons and stuff like that, right? And we're, we're complaining about the kids, but the adults in the room haven't shown up. So how can we ask the kids to show up? But there's something that, that's really hopeful about this passage. God is going to start something new with a child. He's going to start something new in Israel, and he's giving hope to Israel through the life of a child. Might it be that in our time, that God might call one of our little people who are back there, one of our youngsters, that God might call their life, speak into their life and call them to do something new, bring something new for the adults. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let me ask you this question. How is your relationship with Jesus? How are you embodying or modeling your relationship with Jesus? Do you read your Bible? Do you take time to read your Bible? Do your kids see you doing that? Do you take time to pray? Do your kids see you doing that? Do you pray with them? Do you, are, you, are you modeling with your possessions what God would have you model? Are you modeling with your t- time what God would have you model with your time? Are you volunteering? Are you giving generously even when it might be difficult for you? Friends, we need to exemplify what we want to see happen. It's not going to just happen miraculously. We need to sow what we want to reap or harvest. Are you gossiping at home? Are you slandering? Are you lying? Or are you telling the truth? Your relationship with Jesus may be the most important indicator of whether your child will follow Jesus themselves. Number two, how do we lead our children to Jesus? Expect God to talk to them personally. Expect God to talk to them personally. Let's follow along. Verse four, then the Lord called Samuel. So the Lord calls out to Samuel, the boy. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, thinking it was Eli who was calling him, and said, Here I am, you called me? But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and lay in his place. One of the things that the author is surely showing us through this third time of repetition of the Lord calling and and Samuel not knowing what to do with it and and Eli not knowing what to do with it is Eli did not expect God to talk to this child. Eli did not expect God to talk to this child. Do you expect that God is going to talk to your child? Do you have the anticipation that God is actually speaking right now to your child? 
look at the the way this happens. Did did Samuel initiate relationship with God, or did God initiate relationship with Samuel? God initiates it every time. He is coming after our kids for relationship. He is relentlessly pursuing them. He has thought about them since the creation of the world, and he goes after them. He desires relationship with your child. Kids in the room, kids in the room, look at me. Uh, Young people, God desires relationship with you. You might have ended up here from for some you know reason you you just followed somebody into the room or, or or you said okay I'll come to church or whatever it is God desires relationship with you The reason that you're here today is to hear this message God desires relationship with you You have a purpose you have belonging you have future God desires relationship with you Look at what, what 1 Samuel 3, 7 says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. God is willing to fix that. God wants to fix that. Parents in the room, have you given opportunities for your child to know about Jesus? Have you told them the gospel message? You can do it by reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with them, the Adventure Bible with them, by watching a video on on thebibleproject.com. You can find ways to do this. Look at what Revelation 3.20 says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is what Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How do we listen to Jesus? How do we hear from God? There's a couple of ways that at the vineyard we expect that God will speak to us. The first one is through the Bible. Are you reading the Bible with your child? Today there are so many resources in which you can read the Bible with your child. I just I just mentioned the Jesus Storybook Bible, the Adventure Bible. There's the uh, the, um, the the Children's Bible. There's the I don't know. There's so much, right? Pick one. Around Christmas, pick the, pick the Advent calendar that you can go through together. Around Easter, read the whole story together. These are just great ways to, that you can integrate this into your life. And when you're reading, would you stop for a second and ask, what's God saying to you in this? Expect that God would actually be talking to your child as you're reading. Number two, how do we hear from God, we hear through community, through the people of God. This is why it's so important to show up weekly to our services, weekly to a small group or a youth group. It's so important that you come and get involved, parent, because your your child will see what you do and they will do like it. If you don't come to church very often, do not expect them to come to church very often when they grow up. Why would we? We need to be back in this space. We need to commit to a regular rhythm of being with people. One of the most revolutionary things for me in my growing up 
was going to youth group every week. And when I was in youth group, there were times that were carved out where they would give us an opportunity to pray for each other. Some person would come up to me and they say, Chris, can I pray for you? And they put their hands on my shoulders and they would be quiet for a second. And then they would speak literal words of God. It felt like God was speaking directly to me through their words. This was the most powerful thing. God would speak directly to me through another person, and I was hooked. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. This is what's happening for Samuel. Samuel is hearing directly from God. Are we putting ourselves in places where we can hear directly from God? Are we quiet for a little bit, expecting that God would speak to us? God wants to speak to your child. Just another little thing. I just, my little rant. Here, listen, I'd love it if you guys would invite your child to church next week. I'd love it. Listen, this is what we're setting up in the kids' wing, in the youth room. We're going to have space where that child can connect with Jesus, can pray a prayer that might change the trajectory of their lives. We're going to have space for that where the, every single child would be able to have the opportunity to connect with Jesus. We're going to have a moment where we're going to pray as a whole congregation for these kids as they go back to school. And then after the service, we're going to have a bunch of fun in the, in the lobby. My wife was talking junk about a, a dunk tank today. I really hope it doesn't happen. But, but th that might happen. Listen, we're going to have a bunch of fun next week. Okay, so make sure they come to church, all right? Uh, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, cancel your plans. I know you guys got plans next week. Look at your calendar and cancel them. They're not as important as getting your kid to church. And then commit to being here throughout the rest of the semester. Number three, how do we lead our kids to Jesus? We confess to them. We confess to them. What, what are you talking about, Chris? Now, this is a pretty crazy idea. Most of our lives as adults and children, there is a dynamic. The adult has authority over the child. I talk to the kid as the adult, and the kid listens to me, right? Isn't that work for you guys? There's nervous laughter, like, no, that doesn't work for you guys? All right, so it doesn't work after a while, right? Because kids grow up. And it doesn't work. Around 12 or 13, if you're still talking down to your child, they will no longer listen to you, right? I stopped listening to kids, adults who talk down to me. So what you have to do earlier than 12 or 13, and I would suggest as early as zero years old, that you start to level the playing field. As many opportunities as you get, you start leveling the playing field. You start telling them, and this is how you can do it. You can confess your sin to them. They're going to see you mess up in life, aren't they? When you're driving, mom or dad, and that person cuts you off in traffic, what do you say? You swear at them. You're flicking them off, right? And, and they're seeing you do this. They're like, mom, what's this mean when you do that thing? And, and you get to have an awesome opportunity to say, listen, when you put up your middle finger, this is what it means, okay? And I'm so sorry that I just taught that to you. And I'm so sorry that I treated that person who was made in the image of God in that way. Forgive me. 
that is beneath the, the behavior of someone who's made in the image of God. Forgive me. When you lie to them, they will catch you in your lies, don't you know? They see your lies before you see them. They will tell you about them, won't they? Mom, you said you were going to do this. What happened? Well, oh, I'm so sorry for God. Or, oh, this, well, this came up, and so I let that happen. And, oh, oh, well, you lied to me. Okay, well, I'm so sorry. You're right. Forgive me. We can confess to our kids. Here's what's going to happen. Our kids will get to the age of 16 or 17 or 18, and they will know about your sin more than you know about your sin. So parents, take off the makeup right now. You didn't look that good anyways, okay? And your kids can see it. Take it off and just say, I'm so sorry, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a broken person just trying to follow Jesus. And if you don't confess, here's what's going to happen. They turn 16, 17, 18. They see how hypocritical you are, how you just show up on Sunday morning to church, how your behavior outside of this space doesn't match your behavior outside of this space, and they will leave the faith knowing that this was not an authentic thing. It's happened for so many of my friends. Look at how it happened for Samuel. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family. From beginning to end, Eli and his family had been sinning. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, and he didn't confess it. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered him, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide it from me anything he told you. Here's what's going to happen, parents. If you don't start confessing, your kids will hear from God about you. Because you know what? You're, God cares so much about your kids, and he cares so much about you. And he doesn't want this sin to just repeat itself over and over again in the next generation. So he's willing to embarrass you for the sake of your child. Isn't that nice? He loves your child more than you do. Now, who's supposed to hear from God for who? Eli is supposed to hear from God for Samuel, right? But Samuel hears from God for Eli. This should scare the crap out of you guys as parents, right? It scares the crap out of me. What are the kids going to find out about me? I better tell them before they find out. So I confess every opportunity that I get. Angie calls me out. She says, Chris, the, the way that you were talking to, to them that time, that, that was inappropriate. Or I really wanted to win at the game of Monopoly deal. And so I was a little bit of a jerk about it when I won, right? So she calls me out. She's like, Chris, do you really want Jack to act that way when he wins? 
I'm like, oh, you're right. No, I don't. So I go and I talk to him. Hey, next time we're playing Monopoly Deal, I'm so sorry that I did that. That was not right. He didn't, he was like, what are you talking about, Dad? We can do this. We can start the practice now. You're not that great anyways. So let's stay bad together. Sound good? All right. Number four. Number four. How do we lead our children to Jesus? We pray for them. We pray for them. We pray with them. Walter Wink, the uh, author, says, history belongs to the intercessors. History belongs to the people who pray for other people. History, the, the, the history of your kids belongs to you if you pray. When I was five or six or seven years old, I woke up from a nightmare and I was freaked out. I ran to my, my parents' room and I jumped in the, in the bed in between them and I was crying and my mom and dad said, what's going on? I said, I had a nightmare. This is what happened. Somebody was coming to get me. I didn't like it. And they, were, they, were, uh, they prayed for me. And then my mom said, Chris, you know, whenever I'm scared, I, I say this verse. It's, it's Psalm 46. One, we read it today. Um, it says this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. She just taught me a tool. So whenever I was scared from that moment on, I've, I've always had this in my back of my mind. I never really memorized the verse. I just knew that God was the, our refuge. God is my refuge. I can run to him. He's my safe place. I can run to him. I'll always be safe with God. God's my refuge. He, he's an ever-present help in trouble. And so I remember that verse, and, and she would remind me whenever I was running away from God in Chile, and whenever I was running away from God in Mexico, she would send me these verses, these little verse cards that she would make. She would be praying them over me as she, as she wrote them, and then she would send them to me, and she'd say, Chris, this is my prayer for you. And I'd read it, and I'd be like, oh, that's nice, and I'm trying to turn away from God. I'm trying to not pay attention to him, but all I can think about is how my mom is praying for me. You see how this works? It changes things. You, the history of your kids is in the hands of you if you pray for them. And if you not, if not, the history of your kids is in the hands of whoever. We have to pray for them. Let's pray right now. Before we do, would you guys just think of all of the kids that you can think of? If you have kids and your kids or grandkids, if you don't have kids and your nieces or nephews, or if you don't have any kid to think about, just say the kids of the Vineyard Church or the kids of your classroom at school. Just think about them. Hold them in your hands. Let's pray. Jesus, we commit these kids to you. They were already yours. You love them more than we could ever love them. They're your kids. We know we only have them in our lives because you designed it. You planned it that they would be in our lives. May we steward them so well. May we steward their development well. May we be part of them knowing you, Jesus. 
And I pray, Jesus, that you would use whatever it takes. Would you relentlessly go after our kids? Would you speak to them prophetically? Would you speak to them through the Bible? Would you speak to them through your Holy Spirit? As we bring them to church next week, Jesus, as we carve out a minute and bring them into a space where they would be embodied with other people, I pray that they would, they would, uh, from the minute that they get out of that car, from the minute that they wake up, that they would know your love for them. That as they walk into the classrooms of the vineyard, I pray that they would come to know you, that they would start a relationship with you that would change the trajectory of their lives. And I pray that through their lives and through their prayers that your kingdom would come. That new adult leadership would rise up from our kids and it would change the course of history for Syracuse, for Central New York, and for the world. In your name we pray, amen. Here's what I'd like to, you to do. I'd like you to commit with me on the back of your connection card. It says action step. Commit with me. I says, I will pray for a child in my life every day this week. If you don't have a child, just think about the kids of the vineyard, okay? I will pray for my child every day this week. You might have to set an alarm, parent or adult. You might have to set an alarm. I usually forget what I do at church or say I'm going to do at church. So I have to set an alarm. We have to say, okay, I'm going to do this every week or every day. Would you all stand with me? On the way out, as you go out the doors, you can throw this connection card in the bucket. Um, Mike and Jenny have a bucket, and you can just throw this in there. There's going to be a prayer team up here. They'd love to pray for anything that's going on. But listen, as I was quiet this morning, um, I, I felt like I got this sense, and I was supposed to say it. Uh, we believe that God speaks to us today, right? We, we're going to believe that God's going to speak to our children. Well, sometimes he speaks to us. And I think that I got this. I might not have. It might have just been my thoughts, okay? But it might be someone in the room. And if you know it, you know it, okay? But I just got the sense that there's someone in the room um, who, had, who has uh, been abused emotionally or relationally or physically by someone who professed love for Jesus, who was trying to follow Jesus, and they abused you, and they abused their, um, yeah, they abused you. And um, you've always been wondering, what, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And I just get the sense that Jesus would like to heal you today. Start the healing journey today. So if that's you, you can come on up for prayer. This team is confidential. Listen, you don't even have to say what, what, what happened. You can just say, hey, that was me. I need, I need prayer. And they'll just be quiet and they'll let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Prayer team, do a good job, okay? Protect people today. Cool? All right. Not cool. Sorry. Let's pray. We'll see you next week for the back to school weekend. Jesus, be with us as we try to lead our kids to Jesus. Empower this group of people. In your name we pray. Amen.
And man, God bless you. We'll see you next week.